Salutations. This is the Untitled Josh Cast, episode number 29. My name is Josh Gershman. I am joined, as always, by my co-host and co-Josh, Josh Hammond. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is our weekly podcast where we discuss what's been going on in our lives and try to have a little bit of fun while doing it. To interact with the show and for updates on future episodes and other fun stuff, you can find us on both Twitter and Instagram at JoshCastPod. You can also catch us weekly at twitch.tv slash untitled joshcast, where we stream at least once a week, usually Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. By following us there, you'll be notified whenever we go live. And as I mentioned, following us on Twitter and Instagram is also the best place for scheduling updates. If you like what you hear and would like to support the show financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash untitled joshcast. This week is our Halloween episode, uh, namely in that it will be the episode that comes out before Halloween. Uh, and in keeping with holiday traditions, uh, Josh, you have prepared a special holiday holiday, a special Halloween themed episode for us today. And so I'm going to let you take it away. Yeah, I, I definitely have. Um, so anybody that knows you knows that you are not a fan of horror films or anything scary at all. To the point that I was convinced that you would not be joining us for Fortnite for a week because they turned it into Fort Nightmares. I thought that was the end of it. Um, Look, it's not not scary. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you know, that's all I'm going to say. So to celebrate Halloween, I thought it might be, you know, a lot of fun to just go through and pick some of the genre's most hilarious titles because one of the things that's really great about horror is, you know, it's not always just scary. Like sometimes it's campy and I think campy is so much fun. So I wanted to pick these, these campy ass titles and let you describe them using nothing other than your power of long windedness of your hyper creative brain and my half assed ADD descriptions. Um, The combination should be, I always, I always knew this was going to come in handy one day. Yes. It's, it's not something that we can use anywhere else, but right here is going to be great. Um, for some of these films, I'm going to give you the names of characters. For some of them, I'm just going to let you make the characters up. Sweet. Um, the thing that's really important here is that whoever created these films not sue us for running their B-movies. We're not intending to do any harm on your works of art even if some of them have less than a 10% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, wow. Now I'm really Okay. I would just add to that that we're not remaking these movies. I mean, look, we might come up with some great ideas and somebody would want to take these ideas and remake them, to which I would say Untitled Josh Cast gets producer credit and like a cut from all those movies, I'm just saying. But we're not... I don't think this exercise is... Uh, is lawsuit worthy. Now, if I'm wrong, that would be interesting, but I don't it's, think it is. Cut to, cut to sci-fi in 2021, all of their Halloween movies being these. It's oh, amazing. man. All right, listen, wait, wait. I think we need to put a disclaimer here. Sci-Fi Channel, if you want to make any of these movies we're about to describe, call us first. We are open. Our DMs are open. And we'd also like small roles in them. That's true. All right. Are you ready? So I, I am like, I've been thinking of this as it's like a little bit whose line, a little bit like creative writing prompt, a little, let's just like get wacky. Yes. It's, it's, it's like our own version of Upright Citizens Brigade. Okay. All right. We're going to start with a classic film from 1986. With a budget of $800,000 called Chopping Mall, C-H-O-P-P-I-N-G Mall. And I picked this because you like robots. At least I think you like robots. You like robots. Do you like robots? Here's your plot. 
A new robotic security system is installed at the Park Plaza shopping center. Four couples who work at the mall throw an after party in the mall and things go horribly wrong. Describe these couples, how they met, and how they meet their end. All right. So four couples. Okay. So you're going to have the punk rock couple. You're going to have, I should really be writing this down. You're going to have the. Already writing it. Okay. You're going to have the yuppie couple in like the polos and tie over sweaters. Okay. You're going to have the, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of other 80s stereotypes. You're going to have the goth, the goth kids. Um, and oh yeah, I need a fourth one. All right. I got the punk rock couple. So those, those are like, they're like in their thirties. Okay. The yuppies, they're in their fifties. You got two goth kids who I'm making a couple. They're like 14. Well, let's make this 18. So everybody's an adult. And then, okay, let's see. I need a fourth, fourth pair. Oh, uh, how about a couple of jocks? So you got two high school jocks. Um, also 18. Everyone's legal age in this movie. That's important. Uh, okay. So how did they meet? Well, let's start at the end. The jocks, of course, are on the football team. Um, their names are Jimbo and Billy. They're, um, they're the stars of the football team. They're at the mall, you know, on a casual Saturday afternoon. The goth, the goth kids. Man, I need some good goth names. Let's see. Sylvester and Penelope. Nice. Those are the goth. Those are the goth. It's the goth couple. Um, the yuppies are Maud and Todd. That was easy. That was just like on the tip of my head right there. Uh, and the, the punk rockers are um, Pam and Jim from The Office. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right. So so they're at the mall on this casual Saturday afternoon. Now, what they don't realize is that the the security guards in the mall have all been replaced by robots with chainsaws on their hands. Now, you can't see me right now, but I'm doing like little chainsawing motions with my hands. So the first thing that happens, of course, is the punk rock kids get killed right away. Because they're like, what are you, a robot? And the robot's like, and it cuts the guy's head off. And then Pam is like, holy shit. And then she gets her head cut off right away. So then everyone else in the mall is like really confused. There's like blood everywhere. All of a sudden there's like, uh, like these loud machine sounds just like happening everywhere. No one really knows what to do. Maud and Todd are just complaining. They're like standing in the food court, drinking their coffee. Hang on, I'll drink some coffee. They're sipping exaggeratingly loud. They're complaining about everything. Maud is the worst, like literally the worst. So they're fine for now. But then like people start running. Imagine a mall, like the food court's on the second floor. So like looking over the balcony onto the first floor, people are just running amok. Um, the punk kids' bodies are just being thrown about because like they're already dead. Now, the goth kids, they're like, this is interesting. Let's go see what's happening down there. Um, so they uh, they try to like take cover behind a, ga- uh, a garbage can. While the robots are coming by the chainsaw handed robots, by the way, I should I want to make sure to emphasize the chainsaw hands. Um, and then somebody points out, hey, get those goth kids. It's bad. It's bad. What happens? See, what a lot of people don't, rec- don't remember about the 80s. Lots of prejudice against goth kids. So they were there trying to hide. But like somebody spotted them and they're like, oh, nope, get those goth kids over there. So um, Penelope and whatever the guy's name was, what's the, what's the guy's name? For which I remember group? what I just named him. The goth kids, it was Penelope and something else. I already forgot what I called them. Sylvester. But, Sylvester, thank you. So look, Sylvester, he, he, he's, 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 he's all in, he's, he's goth. Sylvester is super goth, but he's also like, he has a heart of gold. Not that other goth people don't have hearts of gold. Sylvester especially, though, he takes this moment to be like, no, the robots stop today. And so he jumps out from behind where he and Penelope are standing. He's like, 
down robots. And the robot is like, and he just throws a garbage can at him, hits him in the head, knocks him out. Penelope's freaking out because now Sylvester's lying on the ground. He's got blood gushing out of his head. Still alive, though. So they like crawl to like a nearby store, like a nearby thing to try to get out of the way. So they're like, okay for now. But oh, man, Maud is still being the absolute worst upstairs. So if you recall, Maud and Todd are upstairs looking at the in the food court, looking over the scene that's that's happening down below. Little do they know. There is a second chainsaw handed robot upstairs. The chainsaw, the second robot comes up from behind and just like if you've ever seen Terminator 2, which the scene where Robert Patrick's Terminator guy, he like he like shoots his arm thing through the guy's head. So it's like that, except with the robot guy's chainsaw, it totally cuts Maud's head off. Honestly, she had it coming. I mean, like, honestly, she's the worst. Todd, totally unfazed. He's standing there in his polo and his sweater and his uh, like white boat shoes. Totally unfazed. He turns and he sees Maud beheaded, still standing there, still holding her coffee because like she couldn't be bothered to put it down. Todd just walks off. The robot who's upstairs, who has just committed this brutal murder, is kind of thrown, honestly. And like in a surprise twist, Todd sneaks up behind and pushes the robot off the balcony down onto the first floor. The robot falls all the way down and explodes. Now, you wouldn't think you wouldn't think that was happening because it's only a fall of like 12 feet or whatever. But the robots are filled with gasoline and fire. And the, the fall from 12 feet was enough to just explode him into a million pieces. So, oh, hey, we think we're safe. Not so fast. Penelope and Sylvester, who were hiding, were just starting to sneak out from behind their hiding place get exploded and burnt to a crisp in the explosion from the robot. So then what happens is the, the, second, uh, the second chainsaw robot that was on the first floor, it also gets caught up and he's damaged and he's like crawling and it's all very sad. And it's like, he's all being very sad robot. Todd comes down from the first floor, steps on his head, all dramatic. Somehow he got an American flag and he plants the flag in the robot's head. I don't know where he got the flag from. And Todd walks out the mall doors off into the sunset. And Todd the yuppie is the hero of the story. That's amazing. I have one set of follow-up questions for you. Mm. Okay. If you, if you, from the 1980s, using 1980s people, if you could cast the punks, the yuppies, the jocks, the goths, who would you have in the role? I'm going to read their names to you and you're going to tell me who you picture playing these characters. Wait, are these the real people in the movie? No. Oh, these are I, the people I made up and I have to cast them. Correct. Okay, I understand. Jimbo the football star. Okay, well, I'm going to take these in pairs, actually. So Jimbo and Billy, they were the football kids. I want to say... I'm just going to have to borrow from The Breakfast Club and say Emilio Estevez and, um, and what's his face? Jude uh, Law. I mean, Jude, Judd. Judd, Judd Nelson. Thank you. Yes. I was, was going to say Jude Law too. I'm like, that's not God the right person. Um, Emilio Estevez and Judd Nelson. They're the jocks. They're the football kids. Amazing. So for Sylvester and Penelope, who are your goth kids? Wait, punk kids? No, you're right. They're the, goth, They're the kids. goth kids. Okay. That's a tough one because I'm tempted. I could just, I could just go the easy route and take stuff from like Edward Scissorhands, but I'm not going to do that. All right. Instead, what I'm going to do is Madonna is going to be Penelope and Sylvester Stallone is going to be Sylvester. That's an easy for him. It's easy for him to remember. That's fair. It keeps it from being confusing. Yep. All right. And you're, you've got your punk couple, which is Maud and Todd. No, the punks were Jim and Pam from The Office. Oh, fine. Jim and Pam were the punks. Those are very punk names. They are. So, yeah. 
for them, man, who do, who are they going to be? They need to be like Tom Cruise is going to be Jim, and Nicole Kidman's going to be Pam. There you go. I'm in. I'm into that. And casting your yuppies. Okay, so then we have Maude and Todd. See, all right, I'm going to save this one. I have somebody in mind, but I want to save her. To, I want to cast her in a different movie. So okay. I'm not going to make her Maude. Jeez. Uh, this is tough. For Jim, I kind of want Jim to be Bruce Willis. All right. I mean, not Jim, Todd. I kind of want Todd to be Bruce Willis. Because like in the 80s, Bruce Willis was like, He's a good looking guy. Not that he's not, but like 80s Bruce Willis, not bad. I mean, it's perfect um, because we can also play Bruno as people die. I'm thinking like Moonlighting, like the series Moonlighting. Bruce Willis, yeah. attractive. Uh, oh, who did he star opposite in that show? I can't remember. All right, I need a mod. Let's see, let's see. Um, here's where, okay. Here is where... I will need some additional support, I think. Let's say, who was the... It was Sybil Shepard. Sybil Shepard. Sybil Shepard, yeah. My bad. <laughs> there you go. I'm just going to use that one. Sybil Shepard and Bruce Willis, since they starred together in Moonlighting, will star as Maude and Todd in uh, as the yuppies. Perfect. And question you didn't see coming. Oh, no. Who is the voice of the lead chainsaw robot? Oh, wow. Okay, this one, I, I need to alter the time-space continuum for this because the voice has got to be Bill Hader. All right, that's fair. That's fair. I was going to go with Gilbert Gothrie, but I love your way better. <laughs> All right. The full plot for Shopping Mall is a group of young shopping mall employees stay behind for a late-night party in one of the stores. When the mall goes on lockdown before they can get out, the robot security system malfunctions and goes on a killing spree. So I have three facts for you. But before we get into those facts, there are really no main actors in this movie that you would probably recognize. But it is very 80s because two of them were in other very popular 80s movies. One of them was a cheerleader in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And the other one was one of the... the extra people that was on, he was in the Karate Kid on Cobra Kai's team. Um, so there's that. But your three facts. So at the beginning, Gersh men- mentions um, one of the people standing there holding coffee because she is headless. So there are plenty of people in this movie who are decapitated. Nailed it. So in the closing credits, the name of each actor appears over their photo. However, the name of the person whose character is decapitated appears over a photo of their headless shoulders. (laughs) So there's that. Um, I really love this fact. The movie was filmed in Sherman Oaks Galleria, which is the same mall that was used in Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And... The only difference is that because of budget, they had to film it after closing hours, whereas Schwarzenegger obviously didn't need to do that. Um, and then also, this was originally called Killbots, and they re-released it and retitled it because based off of the movie poster, they thought that audiences were turned off by it because it looked too much like a Transformers-like children's cartoon rather uh-huh. than a violent movie. That makes sense. I also love that I told a different story that takes place in that same mall. Mm-hmm. Like, if I didn't tell that story, it's just, it's just like the same, that mall has problems. It mall clearly. does have problems. <laughs> you, will, you will later discover that there are a lot of other occupations that also have problems. <laughs> All right. All right. That was, um, that was fun. One down. I'm going to move on to the next film, which okay. is also in the 80s. Okay. It's called Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town. The plot, which I've left very vague intentionally for you, is an all-female motorcycle game named The Cycle Sluts cruise into the isolated town of Zara looking for a good time. There is an evil scientist-turned-mortician, a busload of blind orphans, Billy Bob Thornton, and MTV VJ Martha Quinn. What the fuck is going on here? Okay, so... The, that is a lot of information you have given me. Would you like a reread? What? Well, here's the 
what is my task for this movie? You were supposed to tell me what the fuck is going on. Oh, why, okay. Amazing. Why are Billy Bob Thornton and MTV VJ hanging out in a town with a motorcycle gang, all female, called the Cycle Sluts? And what the hell is the evil scientist turned mortician doing? And why is there a busload of blind orphans? Okay, I couldn't tell if you were editorializing or if what the fuck is going on was actually in no. the plot summary of the movie. Okay. I, I just, I want you to explain to me my confusion. Got it. All right, so we've got a biker gang. We've got Billy Bob Thornton. We've got Martha Quinn. And we've got blind orphans. We have a bus full of blind orphans. Okay. All right, so here's what's going on in this movie. Don't forget the evil scientist turned mortician. How, I mean, how could I? Scientist turned mortician. You know what? I do and I don't hope that someone finds this notebook I'm writing in right now. <laughs> because like it's, it's going to lead people down some, down some places. Okay. So big picture. This town, which we're going to call Duxburg. Is actually, excuse me, is actually like has a giant research lab, which is the leading facility for restoring sight um, to the blind. And so the busload of blind orphans, they have been sent to Duxburg for this purpose um, to be researched, not to be lab rats, to be clear. It's not that kind of that's not what's happening here, but it's like a up and up. It's a research facility on the up and up. It's the St. Jude's of blind research. And so that's where these kids are going is to get treatment and to try to uh, restore their sight. Now, what they don't know is there's a guy, uh, let's call him, let's call him, man, drawing a blank. We'll come back to his name later. The evil scientist, he also lives in Duxburg. And he has had it out for this research facility for some time. And he thinks that if he can somehow uh, steal all these blind kids, then he can, shut the, he can shut the research facility down. He doesn't have a name yet. I'm going to have to come back to what the research scientist's name is later. It's not important. I mean, it is important, but I can't think of it right now. So that's what's happening in this town. Duxburg has this facility. The evil scientist is like, I'm going to steal these kids. Uh, that's, his, that's his motivation. And here's what's also happening. Do you have a follow-up question? I was just going to prompt you to say, all of that is very factual, and I feel like I know a lot more now. I still don't understand where the all-female motorcycle game gang named these cycle sluts come into play. Well, just you wait, my friend. All right. Okay. So here's what's also happening in Duxburg. There is a huge motorcycle rally the same weekend that the evil scientist is going to try and steal all these kids. The evil scientist is played by Billy Bob Thornton. So that's where he, that's his role in the movie. And so a lot of his footage on screen, it's just like him in a lab coat, looking at stuff, holding up beakers, being very menacing. That's his, that's his thing. He doesn't talk a lot, but like other than to say, I'm going to get these kids. At the same time, there's this motorcycle rally that's happening in Duxburg. Now, the du Duxburg MC, the Duxburg Motorcycle Club, they're like a pretty well-respected organization in what state would you say this takes place in? I'm going to give that to you. I mean, motorcycle rally, we have to put this in North Dakota. South Dakota? Where is the big motorcycle rally? Where's Sturgis? Rally? Lucy, where's can you Sturgis? look up where the Sturgis motorcycle rally is? Wherever it's, it's going to be. It's, it's in South Dakota. Okay, it's in so the Dakotas. All right, so Sturgis is in South Dakota, Duxburg, North Dakota. So Duxburg MC, they're the big motorcycle club in the area. They are, they have like a friendly rivalry with Sturgis in South Dakota. So they want to put on their own motorcycle rally that's like the biggest in the Dakotas and try and, you know, bring some fame and attention to their time. Because again, South Dakota has Mount Rushmore, North Dakota has not Mount Rushmore. So they need this motorcycle rally. Um, Martha Quinn is the leader of the cycle sluts. She's the leader of their gang. They're from Oregon. I want to say Oregon 
Oregon. They're from Oregon. So they roll in across however many hundreds of miles from the west coast of Oregon all the way into Duxburg, North Dakota. They pull into town and they're like, hey, Martha Quinn, this is a pretty cool town. Now, what they see is like a pretty industrialized section. That's where the research lab is for blind children. They see like this downtown strip. That's where they're going to park on their bikes and all the, you know, biker stuff is going to happen. So everyone gets like settled in. First third of the movie, like everyone's getting settled in. You see the big montage of like the 100 miles motorcycle track of Martha Quinn and the cycle sluts from Oregon to Duxburg. I can't even say that. Uh, they get settled in, right? They're checking into their motorcycle hotels. They're eating their motorcycle food. They're doing all the motorcycle, motorcycle things. Clearly, I know a lot about motorcycles. Now, at the same time, the, we also see these blind orphans. Uh, God help them, being driven into Duxburg on their way to the research facility. And then story C, the third story is Billy Bob, the evil scientist. He was like on his perch with his binoculars, looking out over the distance, seeing the this busload of kids comes in. Now, what he doesn't see is like in his in, a, in the foreground of his binocular vision is the bus. That's all he's paying attention to. What he doesn't see in the background is like the dust trail from this from the motorcycle gang also coming into town. Okay, so that's what's happening here. So it's the day of the rally. It's also the day that the kids are going to the research facility. Now, what Billy Bob, you know what? The scientist's name is just Billy Bob. It's easier for me to remember his name that way. He's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pull off a heist and steal me some blind kids. So he plans his heist. He's going to go to like the intersection. There's like an intersection in town where like you have to turn one way to go to the research facility. You got to turn another way. That's where the motorcycle rally is going. He's going to pull off the heist there because like it'll be like in broad daylight. No one will understand. There'll be all kinds of chaos. No one will do anything. So that's the scene. It's a big action scenes about to happen in this movie. Martha Quinn and the motorcycle gang, they're rolling up to this intersection. The bus is coming from a different way. Billy Bob's coming from a third way. They're all going to meet in this one intersection. Now, things are going swimmingly for Billy Bob, the evil scientist. He's already taken over the bus. He's got, his, he's, he's got, his, uh, he's got the keys. He's going to steal these kids. Twist. Here's the twist. What he doesn't know, Martha Quinn, undercover CIA agent. See? The whole biker gang undercover CIA agents. They've been sent to this town of Duxburg specifically to interrupt the stolen orphan ring that's happening right underneath everyone's noses. So they all meet at this intersection. Martha Quinn is like, hey guys, there's the guy. He's over there. Bam, shit goes down. Explosions everywhere. Orphans, they're fine. Nothing bad happens to the kids. Everyone else, totally fucked up. Now, after the dust has settled, like the literal dust has settled, there's like a montage of dust settling. That's how much the dust had to settle. After that, they got Billy Bob like chained to a motorcycle somewhere. Rips off his mask. Surprise. He was a ghost the whole time. Oh, man. He was a former blind orphan who died. Well, no, he grew up to be an old blind orphan. And then he dies, but then he like comes back to haunt the town of Duxburg where the original ex, uh, uh, science was, experiments were happening. And then he took like the, corp, the, the, he took the form, the bodily form of Billy Bob Thornton. Um, that was amazing. Thank you. So I will say there's not as much with this one. Um, the, the first thing I could say, okay, so the plot, according to IMDb, I should say that that's where these plots that I'm reading are coming from. The fun okay. facts are from a variety of locations because I am doing as much, as much research as I can. Um, so the plot is a gang of tough women, oh, sorry, a gang of tough women bikers are the only thing that stands between a crowd of zombies which have been accidentally let out of their secure cave and those still alive in the town. So... The description of this doesn't really make a lot of sense. It doesn't tell you much of anything. Um, but there was a review from the New York Times. Um, it's very 
very brief. It really does not tell you much, but it does help a little bit more with explaining the actual concept, um, which is that it's literally about how there is, so the villain that um, Josh mentions earlier is a raving homicidal mortician whose battery powered zombies are the miserable fruits of his demented quest to create eternal life quoted from the New York times. So essentially what he does is he takes people who have are being killed or whatnot from the town and he is bringing them back to life as zombies. Um, it is a lot. Basically, all of the reviews that I have come across, all of the articles have said that the movie is just a lot. And it's so much that it doesn't like it's funny, but it's not great because there's no substance because it's just too much happening. Um, also, <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes, there is no rating on this at all. The only rating that you can find is from the audience, which the audience gave it a 42. So that's, you know, what? that's something. not bad. Um, also, unfortunately, it does not take place in South Dakota or North Dakota or any of the locations you, you named because it is supposed to take place in an isolated town called Zariah, which I believe is made up. Okay. So um, I think we did a pretty good job with our version of the movie. I, I agree completely. Um, I also will say that um, I cannot find anything that explains um, what the purpose of the blind orphans is other than the fact <laughs> that they were just thrown in there. But there is, there are, there's a review on IMDb that says, <laughs> if you see a sign that says zombie town, and then in all caps, get the hell out of there. And then it says, if you don't, then you are either going to be killed by a lesbian bikers, B flesh eating zombies, or C a busload of blind orphans. So that's pretty much all I got for you. Like it. Well, you guys heard it here first. Chopper, also, Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town. So bad that even Rotten Tomatoes wouldn't review it. <laughs> there is oh, also one, one 10 out of 10 review that I saw on IMDb. <laughs> and it starts off by saying, midgets, blind children, biker chicks, and zombies. Throw them all together and you get one heck of a fun movie. Put yep. that on the poster. <laughs> All right, I'm going to move forward a little bit. We can go back to the films that I'm skipping. But as noted in our intro, Gershman is wordy. So I want to make sure <laughs> that we don't give you a four and a half hour podcast today. So we're going to go to Gourmet Zombie Chef from Hell. I love this already. Yes, this is also an 80s film, 1986. I'm going to give you the tagline of this one also because it made me laugh like out loud by myself in my living room while writing this the tagline is he has good reason to keep his sauces secret and the plot which i'm not going to give you very much of is a cannibal opens a seafood restaurant that's it that's all i'm giving you what i want from you is i want you to tell me what his lunch specials are this is amazing Okay, so clearly what's happening here, this is like, I don't know if this is, been, I mean, the first thing I was thinking of is like uh, Hannibal and the Santa Clarita diet, the Netflix show. People are just eating people. If Hannibal, even though like all of the food is meticulously prepared, it's supposed to look, it's supposed to be people, but like it's all meticulously prepared. So if you just look at the scenes of him preparing food, it's really very well done. I'm not going to do that, but I'm saying if you wanted to, you could do that. Um, all right. I love this idea. I'm confused as to why it's a seafood restaurant. Like, I feel like the easier, more sensical option is that it's a steakhouse. But I'm not going to like if this. I'm not going to argue with 1986. That's what it says. That's what it says. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's see. All right, I got to come up with some dishes. Okay. So it's a seafood restaurant run by a cannibal. Well, all right. Um, one of, so like in the, in the real world, uh, bone marrow, like from a cow, is like a, a delicacy. Uh, mostly because there's only so much of it. It's a, fi a finite thing. 
So that's always a thing. It's like a, that's like a fancy restaurant thing. So clearly this cannibal is going to be taking the bone, the bone marrow of real people and like doing stuff for his restaurant here. So I think if I had to guess, probably preparing, let's see, what would go, what would go well with some good human bone marrow? Let me think about that for a second. Probably maybe some, mm, maybe some salmon. Thinking like a salmon filet with like like a side of roasted person marrow. I think that would be a good special. I think that would be a good one. Now you mentioned sauces. Now like that's I think that's a pretty good clue um, because there's so much you can do. Like the the pig's blood in real life again is like processed and cleaned and like used to make blood sausage in Europe. And I mean, well, anywhere else you would make that kind of sausage. So like the use of blood in food like that. Is already a thing, not just in Europe, but elsewhere. Um, so I think clearly there's like this cannibal. Does, does the cannibal chef have a name? He does not. I left that wide open for you. Oh, wow. All right. The cannibal chef's name is Bones. Bones, he, uh, he has this like patented distillation process where he drains people of their blood before eating them because he doesn't want, like he doesn't want to get the blood all over him when he eats, you know? So he drains all the blood out and then he has this process where it like filters it down and reduces it. And then he adds a little salt. He has a whole thing he goes through to make like his patented blood sauce. Now it's red. So like everyone's like, ha ha blood sauce, but it's really blood. It's like actual blood. So like that's the secret sauce. The second dish is uh, it's a grilled shrimp. It's like a Cajun grilled shrimp with like a spicy blood sauce, but it's like human blood. So there's two. The third one, let's see, let's see. We got to bring some parts, some people parts into this. So I'm trying to think of people parts that would fit on the like on a on the plate with some seafood. I'm thinking like a like a like a uh, like a mixed fry thing. You know, if you like you're at a seafood restaurant, you can just get like a whole bunch of stuff fried, put on a platter with some like lemon juice, and it'll be delicious. So I'm thinking it's like shrimp and scallops and other things, clams, other things that you can fry, but like mixed into the mixed fry is also like some earlobes and stuff and like some toes and like the texture is basically all the same. No one really knows. Put tartar sauce on it. It's all going to taste the same. So I'm saying it's like the, we got, we got the, we got the salmon with the, with the bone marrow. We got the grilled shrimp with the blood sauce. And we got the mixed fry with people parts. Nice. And you picked toes. So it's, it's technically tofu. Yeah. All right, Lucy, I'm going to let you in. That was a great joke. I'm just going to add that in there. Um, Unfortunately, this is also another one that does not have a lot. Um, The plot, according to IMDb, is a cannibal opens up a seafood restaurant and kills and cooks people to serve to his customers. Um, This one also does not have a Rotten Tomato official rating. Um, The audience gave it a 14. And on IMDb, unfortunately, it has a 2.5. However, 2.5 out of 10 or 2.5 out of 100? 2.5 2.5 out of 10. Okay. Um, which usually like, you know, even the best movies that aren't the best get rated at like a six. If something's like a six, you know, it's, it's actually going to be okay. Um, yeah, this, this was a two. Um, a lot of the reviews are mixed. So if you look any of them up, some of them are like, this is really bad. But then a lot of them like on IMDb in particular, and a lot of other ones from random sites, are all 10 out of 10 because they're all saying that it's so bad. It's good. That's essentially it. There's people saying it's so bad. It's good. There was one guy who um, said that he's seen it so many times he can't count. um, But he likes to go back and see what he's missed from the movie that he can then talk about later. Yeah. Um, well, so I think what's funny is that with this one and the last one, we talked about Rotten Tomatoes. So Rotten Tomatoes is an aggregator. And so mm-hmm. if something doesn't have a Rotten Tomatoes score, that means there's no like critical reviews of it that gave it a score. 
Yep. Um, but I think that's very telling. Like not every movie is going to get reviewed. Uh, not every campy horror movie is going to get reviewed either. But the audience score is also interesting. Yes. I like I how will say, it there. I will say while in the last movie we discussed, you cannot visit the location for it. You can visit, visit the exact location where this movie was filmed Ooh. because it was filmed at a Smoky J, a Smoky Joe's cafe in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's amazing. Yes. Okay. If anybody out there knows where the Smoky Joe's cafe is in, in North Carolina, send us a picture. There's actually IMDb also lists the exact address. To amazing. The place. <laughs> All right. Somebody go there, take a picture and then Photoshop it with, Cannibal chef coming soon. I don't know. Give me something. That's all I'm asking for. So I'm going to throw this next one in because it features the dynamic and amazing actor Gary Busey. Oh, okay. It's called The Ginger Dead Man. The Ginger Dead Man. I love this already. It's from 2005. The plot is an evil gingerbread man comes to life with the soul of a serial killer. What I need from you, Josh, is you're a reporter for the New York Times. Okay. What, what are you reporting? And what is his legacy? I'm just interrupting okay. here to say I just yes. looked up the poster of this. And oh my God, I'm going to need you to look at it at some point because it is terrifying. I don't think that you've sold Josh in any way to go look at this poster. It's okay, more so, of the way that they made this ginger dead man. I, I mean, love it. There's, it's okay. There's, there's a lot to go on here. Okay. So is it safe to assume that Gary Busey, he's, he's playing the gingerbread man of the reincarnated serial killer? That wasn't entirely clear, but like, I'm asking you, can you tell me, can you tell me if that's the case? I am looking right now for you. Okay. I don't know unless the gingerbread man's name is Millard Findermeyer. I, I cannot confirm. All right. Um, that's okay. That's, that's all right. That's not part of, that doesn't have to be part of the story. So, so do you want me to play a New York Times reporter in the cinematic universe of this movie? Let's, let's change it. Let's make you okay. a CNN reporter. You are live on the air. You are reporting that there's a gingerbread man who has taken the personality of a serial killer. I need you to describe to me which serial killer he has adapted into and what crimes he has been committed. I'm going to interject to say, can confirm. Gary Busey is the ginger dead man. Of course Thank he you. is. Okay, so here we go. Here's what I here's here's what I think is happening. Thank you for joining me on CNN, the most trusted news network. Um, you might recall CNN from the days when I think they had James Earl Jones do like voiceover for a commercial or something. That's us. We're CNN. We're amazing. Except for when we're not, but we're not going to talk about that because we like to ignore those things. So anyway, tonight on CNN, we're going to discuss the real life true story of the ginger dead man serial killer. Now, what a lot of people might not remember is the case of Casey McChristmas. Now, Casey McChristmas was an ordinary man, but he turned out. He had a secret. Casey McChristmas' secret is that he just wantonly killed any short person. Now, not like people who were short or um, uh, or dwarfs or anything like that. Like literally anybody shorter than him, you never knew. It was like a coin toss whether or not he was just going <laughs> to ax him. Um, eventually, the cops caught up with Casey McChristmas, um, but he wouldn't come quietly. And he was killed in their capture. Uh, so they had a whole you know, burial and funeral. And they donated his brain to science because they wanted to figure out like what causes a man to become a serial killer. Tonight, I have an exclusive to tell you, which is that the brain of Casey McChristmas is missing. 
Not only that, his brain has somehow been absorbed into a ginger, uh, a gingerbread cookie that was being baked right next door to this office. The gingerbread man has now been reincarnated as the ginger dead man, the serial killer also known as Casey McChristmas. We now go live on the scene to right outside of this office to an interview with Casey McChristmas slash gingerbread man. Jimmy, Jimmy's the reporter. This is my aside. Jimmy's the reporter down on the street from CNN who's going to interview Casey McChristmas. Okay. <clears throat> Wait, oh, I didn't give my anchor a name. I'll just say it's me. Yes, Josh, we're down here on the street with, Kate, with, uh, with uh, Casey McChristmas. He's uh, kind of tall, sugary, but like a little bitter, you know, like gingerbread. I'm going to try to ask him some questions. Uh, Casey, Mr. Gingerbread Man, how are you doing? Okay, um, you, you seem to be back from the dead. Are you looking to kill some more people? Uh, okay, well, I'm a little scared. Uh, truth be told, you scare me a little bit. I'm not quite sure what's happening right now. What is, uh, what's that in your hand there? All right, all right, all right. Well, it looks like, um, it looks like a knife. Is that a knife? Are you going to stab me with a knife? Okay, we're going to cut back to the studio now. I'm sure, um, I'm sure Jimmy's going to be fine, just fine outside. Uh, I'm going to call security. Security! We're going to get security downstairs. I'm sure they'll take care of this. Uh, let's, let's go to commercial. I had to frantically unmute right there because you were doing such an amazing job. I didn't want to interrupt. Um, it was great. <laughs> it was pretty good. I'm going to let Lucy tell you all of the facts about this Grammy award-winning Oscar Busey film. I understand that the Grammys aren't for movies, but he did such a good job that they made one for him. Said it was an Oscar Busey film? An Oscar Busey film. They also Makes renamed sense. him after. the. He did guys, such a good job. Yes. Yeah. You guys know what I mean. Lucy. Please know what you mean. <laughs> I just think it's funny. Um, so I, I mostly wanted to look up what the actual storyline of the movie was rather than there being fun facts, because I feel like that in and of itself is the fun fact. So the plot line from, um, IMDb is an evil yet adorable gingerbread man. I'm interrupting to say it is not adorable. I don't know where they chose this word from, how they got here, but definitely not adorable. Um, but it says. An evil yet adorable gingerbread man comes to life with the soul of a convicted killer. This real life cookie monster wrecks havoc on the girl who sent the killer to an electric chair or to the electric chair. So the actual summary of the movie is that Gary Busey plays a character named Millard Findelmeyer. Great name. um, Who walks into a diner in Texas and he kills. There's a family for he kills two of the people. Um, he gets arrested and um, sentenced to the electric chair. And when he dies, he is cremated and his ashes are sent to his mother, who is a witch, who mixes his ashes with gingerbread spice mix. Yep. And so that is where he came to life from. Totally checks out. Yes. Um, and then he terrorizes a small town bakery, which I believe is where the remaining two people who did not die from that family. Um, that's where they live. It can't confirm. Just looked it up. Um, what, their last name is. Well, no, I'm not going to say that. Never mind. I was trying to read through like this entire thing. Um, let's see what the score is. Cause I'm intrigued. This is also 2005. That's being fairly recent. I would imagine there's going to be some reviews here. I, in the meantime, while I'm looking this up, I would just ask that you go just just look up the name so you could see the oh, poster. I'm terrified already. All right. Here we go. I'm looking it up. That's all, I, that's all I ask of you. Looking it up in real time. Ginger, dead, man, Gary Busey. Honestly, oh, God, you, didn't even, you didn't even need to type in Gary Busey. It would just come up. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, this is terrifying. So the IMDb rating is a 3.4 out of 10. However, in an unexpected twist, 
of all of the movies that you have so far um, reimagined, um, this one has the highest tomato meter score of 60%. I'm, I'm looking at that myself and I can't believe it. Yep. Wow. It is. Yep. I certainly Here's know a, how to pick them. I'm going to I'm going to read one of these reviews just cuz I happen to have it open on my phone. What makes Ginger Dead Man so watchable is just how amazingly stupid it is. Yeah. That sounds right. That's wow. How, that's, um, that's how I feel about girls. This I liked I liked both versions of these movies. Um I'm not going to watch either but I like them both. All right, let's do let's do one more. And we're going to before we do this last one, let's uh, this is now we have decreed this will be we'll make this like a regular thing. Cool. Of, I will I will have to do these for horror movies and then I'll, I'll come up with the genre for you and then we'll just keep doing these. I'm into that. Do you want a regular one and the bonus one or do you just want me to move strictly into the bonus round? Let's only because I know what it is. Let's go right to the bonus one. All right. Cool. Um, and then we'll uh, figure from there. I know that you love Broadway and I know that you love musicals. I so do. I have picked a horror musical for you called Poultrygeist Night of oh the God. Chicken Dead. It was filmed in 2006. It, the director so far as the only noteworthy director, it's Lloyd Kaufman, who is the director of the amazing Toxic Avenger series. Oh, okay. The budget for this was $500,000. I'm going to read you a small amount of plot, and then I'm going to give you an assignment. Okay. Zombified chickens attempt to kill the fast food workers that cook them in the restaurant built on an ancient burial ground. This one's a musical, as I've said. Gershman, your assignment here is to give me the names of three songs that you would have written for this film. All right. Can you give me that description one more time? Zombified chickens attempt to kill the fast food workers that cook them in a restaurant built on an ancient burial ground. Okay. The first song is going to be called, uh, let's see, I have it, I have it in my head. I'm trying to work it out a little bit. Um, okay, the first song, actually, this is going to, this, this is the song that opens the movie. So it like, it's, a, it's the opening credits. It's the big opening number. Every musical needs a big opening number. Okay. And it's called Fast Times at Five Bone High. That's the high school where all the chickens went to school. But you see, there was an accident at the school that killed all of the chickens. That's when, and turned them into zombies. So like the opening of the movie, the opening number of the musical, it shows all these chickens going to school and then something crazy happens and uh, they get turned into zombies. So that's number one. Okay, here we go. Let's see, let's see, let's see. I'm... Mm, Hmm. What else happens in this movie? Let's see. This movie's going to need. Who's the hero in this movie? Is it the chickens or is it the people who work in the fast food restaurant that are under attack from the chickens? That's what I need to figure out. Because like. We've already established the chicken get turned into zombies. By no fault of their own, but that doesn't mean that they're the. Uh, it doesn't mean that they are the antagonists of this film. They might be back for revenge, see? So if that's the case, then it's the people that are like the heroes that have to fight back against these chickens. So I think, I haven't quite figured that out yet. But either way, there has to be a big fight scene in Act 1. So there's some shit that happens, the chickens get turned into zombies, it starts out as one chicken, one zombie chicken walks through the door of the restaurant, hops up on the counter, and he's like, come here. And he like tries to attack somebody, right? But it's only one chicken. So everyone there is like, look at this fucking chicken. 
So they get they kill the they kill the zombie chicken. It's fine. He's done. They then fry him up and eat him because like they needed a chicken, so they might as well eat the zombie chicken. What they didn't realize is that that was going to turn all of them into zombies, not just regular zombies. They would turn the people into giant people-sized zombie chickens. So think of a six-foot man that's now a six-foot zombie chicken. So like that's what's happening in Act One. So the there's the the the, the big fight scene, the big song that is like sung through the fight scene. Think of like the from West Side Story, the uh, the sharks and the jets when they're like doing their little fight dance. It's like that. Except it's called, I got, oh man, what's the name of this song called? It's called The Breasts and the Thighs. That's the name of the big fight scene. <laughs> but it's between. <laughs> I love how both of you are shaking your heads at me right now. Um, okay, the fight scene is between the zombie chickens and their allies in the zombie giant chickens against all the humans. So the humans that work at the restaurant. Now, I should point out, no one else is in this town. Like everyone else is mysteriously gone. There's customers that come into the restaurant and they're like, I'd like a number two, please. And they eat it and they leave and then whatever. But they're never like. The only people that, that are that matter in the story are the people in the restaurant and the zombie chickens and the zombie giant man chicken people. That's it. So there's this fight in the back alley. That's the song. The breasts and the thighs. Um, now let's see, that's going to bring us to the end of act one, because like shit's going down. It looks like the zombies are going to take over the restaurant. Uh, and then they're going to fire the manager and put in new policies and they're going to jack up the prices. And then like, it's just going to be bad for the whole community. So then we get into act two. The people, they're not, they're like hiding out. They have an RV in the parking lot. Uh, but the chickens are not very smart. So the reason that the first chicken could get into the door is just because it was a push door, right? So like he could just like jump into the door to open it up. The chickens can't open the door to the RV. Even the giant man chicken who now has like a wing, he can't like, the wing isn't, doesn't have a thumb, you know? So <laughs> he can't open the door. So the people are in the RV and they're like, okay, we're fine in here for like an hour and a half, but then we're going to have to figure out some way to fight back against these chickens. So they come up with a plan and their plan is to storm, storm the restaurant on all sides to like flank the chickens on all sides. And that by doing so, they would cause, they would cause the chickens to just freak out because again, A, they're not smart and B, they got nowhere else to go. So like if they can cause this mass panic amongst the chickens, they feel like they can get the upper hand to then kill all the remaining chickens. Now, it turns out that uh, they have at their disposal in the RV giant katanas, just giant swords, because the RV was owned by a sword guy, and that's, um, that's what he's got there. I don't know where the sword guy went, but he left his RV in the parking lot. So, you know, free game. So here we are at the big climax of the movie. The people, uh, the, re the real human people, they have surrounded the restaurant. They have their swords. Everyone has a sword for some reason. There were so many swords, so many swords in the sword RV. So many. And they charge in. And the, la the big musical number at the end, it's called, you've got that, or sorry, you've lost that clucking feeling. And it's like a parody of, you've lost that loving feeling from the Righteous Brothers. So it's like the same music. The, uh, I can't, I, if you can like hum it to yourself in your head, that's the song that's playing right now, except it's that clucking feeling, not that loving feeling. Uh, the humans rush in. They cut up all the zombie chickens. Um, and they, they save the day. Twist ending. You did not see this one coming. They fry and eat all the chickens again. And then like over the ending, over the end credits, you see all the people, everybody turning into a giant chicken zombie. And then they're just a giant commune of chicken zombies. There you go. That's my movie. 
I don't even know what to do with that. Lucy, go ahead. <laughs> um, okay, so the plot that Josh read is actually the same exact plot that's basically everywhere. However, IMDb also does have a um, a summary, which I feel is worth reading. So it says, when the American Chicken Bunker, a military-themed fried chicken chain, built a restaurant on the side and the site of an ancient Indian burial ground, local protesters aren't the only ones crying foul. The previous tenants, fueled by a supernatural force, take possession of the food and those who eat it, and the survivors discover that they must band together before they themselves become the other white meat. Film lovers have been starved for sustenance. The relentless diet of predictability and pretense Hollywood has been serving has been serving up just doesn't cut it. Poultrygeist is hearty food for thought. In Poultrygeist, trauma takes on the fast food industry skewering the soulless restaurant restaurateurs in the world's first horror comedy film to feature zombie chickens, American Indians, and a bit of singing and dancing. It's Poultrygeist. So, so many, so many great chicken and food puns in that description honestly like that's just just my hat is off to that description i have more for you oh god so my favorite part of all of this are the characters names which josh did not mention to you and for good reason because (laughs) now i have this fact um all of the lead characters are named after famous fast food restaurants so that famous, so all of the characters are main characters. It's Arby, Wendy's, Mickey, Denny, Carl Jr., and Paco Bell. Love it. I love it. Um, the title of the movie was originally supposed to be Good Night and Good Cluck, but they changed it because they oh. didn't want people to confuse it with George Clooney's Good Night and Good Luck. Look, I'm sorry, Mr. Clooney. You got to take the hit on that one. Is it, <laughs> that's on such a good title. Um, on screen, or not screen, right? On IMDb, um, it has a decent rating of a 6.1. Wow. And on Rotten Tomatoes, both the fan and tomato meter score is a 65. Not bad. So it's doing great. And now I present you with some of the songs from the actual soundtrack, including... I just learned this and was very surprised by this. The theme song for Poultrygeist um, was performed by an artist named Calamari Safari, who is actually the band Newfound Glory. There's that. That's Um, amazing. The second song on, I'm not going to go through all of these, but the second one is called You Fools. This restaurant is built on an ancient Tromahawk Indian burial ground, which is cut as like a dialogue it's only 30 seconds but it is listed on here and it is performed by ron jeremy oh boy also worth noting um some of the other song titles included on this is bumpin tacos revenge is a dish best served fried um slow fast food love eat my meat you vegan whores milk milk lemonade and Green Eggs and Parm. I just got to say, I nailed the song titles. You did. Right. There's also, there's also, um, oh, where was the other one I saw? Oh, Ghost of Chicken Past. I nailed the song titles, man. Mm-hmm. That was great. You did a great job. Thank you. Um, I don't, I mean, this, now let me, to be clear, I'm still not watching any of these movies, but this was a lot of fun. <laughs> This one has, it's definitely one of the highest rated and uh, Screen Rant did a, an article where they rate, they didn't actually themselves rate all of Troma's movies, but they put them in order based off of IMDb ratings. And this movie out of top 10 came in at number eight. Okay. Okay. So it has been uh, very well received apparently. How, um, how do you think I did here? I think these are amazing. I think that you have created an entirely new genre of horror film. (laughs) And if this podcast thing doesn't work out for us, we can go do this. It's not a bad idea. It couldn't possibly be any worse than what was the film that we thought was awful? I I mean, how how much time you got? There's a lot of movies on that list. That's fair. I mean... Let me read you a quick list of things. 
that I planned okay. to throw at you that I did not. Werewolves on wheels. Okay. Monsters crash the pajama party. <laughs> Werewolf in the girls' dormitory. Even the wind was afraid. Big ass spider. Bikini car wash bloodbath. Evil bong. Monstered. They saved Hitler's brain. And Uncle Sam, I want you dead. Look, there's no shortage of creativity when it comes to naming horror movies. That is that is 100% the case here. All right. Uh, this this was a super this was a lot of fun. I can't wait to do this for you. I will come up with something equally ridiculous. Uh, I thought the assignments were particularly were particularly uh, uh, instructive. Um, I especially liked my CNN reporter guy. Uh, I thought that was really funny. Um, I loved the coming up with the lunch specials at the restaurant. That was, I think, the hardest one. Because it wasn't just like something about the movie. Like it was definitely something a little extra. I liked it. Okay. Um, this was this was amazing. Cool. Invite them back for our next podcast where, where we write the script for Evil Bookcase Fiction of Fear. <laughs> Is that Evil Bookcase 1 or Evil Bookcase 2? Two. two. Okay, that's what I thought. It's got to be the sequel. Yes. If you have enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a nice rating or review on Apple Podcasts and or follow on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you happen to listen. Those things would really help us out. Don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter, both of which are at JoshCastPod and over on Twitch at twitch.tv slash untitledjoshcast. Once again, if you would like to support the podcast financially, you can do so at patreon.com slash untitledjoshcast. This show is written and hosted by me, Josh Gershman, and Josh Hammond. It is edited by me, and it is produced by Ryland James and Lucy Benetti. The podcast's intro music is Gemini by Alki, and our outro music that you're lightly hearing right now is Cautious by Emma Rosa. Both appear on the Untitled Josh cast with permission from the artists. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Untitled Josh cast. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Ooh, I got to be cautious.